Blog Talk Radio. in the desert, speaking hope and freedom to Iran. I'm your host, Randy L. Noble, and I want to say thank you so much once again for taking time out of your busy life to join me today on my podcast. Today is Monday, January 15th, 2024. Every Sunday evening at 7 p.m. my time, I meet with my intercessor. Her name is Heather Joy. She lives in Michigan. And we spend about two hours interceding and praying for Iran. And in the year and a half that we have been friends and have met faithfully at this time, we have seen some pretty dramatic answers to prayer concerning my Iranian friends and those that are on the front lines fighting for freedom. And the example of that this morning is the two Iranian journalists um, who were jailed 17 months ago for reporting on the death of Masa Amini. They have just recently been released on bail, and we had been praying for them. Nila, her name is Nilafor Hamadia. She actually broke the news of Masa Amini's death while in police custody for wearing her headscarf too loose, and that was, of course, September 13, 2022. She was actively involved in, in reporting on this story, and because of that, she was jailed and put in prison. Now, another person, Ilaha Muhammadi, wrote about Masa Amini's funeral. And both of them had been sentenced to seven years and respectively six years in prison for charges of collaborating with the U.S. government, working with Zionists, acting against national security. And they had been in prison for 17 months. And I remember when we first heard about this, Heather and I just began praying for them, praying for their safety, for their comfort, for their release, their freedom, for their salvation. And just this past weekend, in a dramatic answer to prayer, um, they were each released on $200,000 bail. That's in U.S. money. That's a lot of money. And, of course, their charges was, of course, collaborating with the American government, colluding against national security, propaganda against the system. And this is how anyone in Iran is treated for speaking out against the government for speaking up in the name of freedom. So Nilofar and Elihi are out. 
But I want to mention something about this. <clears throat> Just recently, back in November, Heather and I had prayed for Tumaj Salahi, the Iranian rapper, when he was in prison, in solitary confinement, being tortured, being beaten. And in November of the past year, 2023, he also was released on bail. But he immediately sought the help of a journalist. He was going to report on the conditions to her in prison. He had actually made a video and uploaded it of the conditions for himself while he was in prison. And after these two things happened, subsequent to his being released, he was rearrested in November, and he's been in prison ever since. My point being is sometime, Heather and I have hypothesized <laughs> that maybe these women, these men, these political prisoners are released intentionally, put under government surveillance, and then rearrested just to harass, just to torture them. We don't know that for sure, but it seems like that there is something like that going on. But that being the case, I just want to rejoice this morning and report to you, the listener, that the two young ladies, the brave Iranian journalists reporting on the truth of what goes on in Iran, have been released on bail. That doesn't mean they're really free, but at least they're out of the prison section, which is so vile, and you can't be treated for any illness in there. There's no medical help if you're sick. And, of course, there's always the danger of them being beaten and tortured and hurt by other prisoners as well. But safe to say they have been released, and please continue joining Heather and I in praying for their safety and praying actually for their freedom, that they can leave that country and go to a place where journalists are able to report on the facts without being banished and jailed and arrested. But knowing these two young ladies like I think we do, they're not going to probably do that. They're very brave, and they're going to stand their ground, and my hat's off to these two young ladies who are not afraid to speak the truth and report on the truth. Well, if you've been listening to The Cross in the Desert, you know all about the hijab law. You know all about the oppression of women inside of Iran. But in my recent book that I wrote with my friend Heather, Uprising, We Are the Revolution, I told the story of the death, the unjust death of Masa Amini. And then in the next chapter, I gave a reason for this, going back in time to a history of the hijab law and how all of this came about. And I think in the beginning of this new year, I want to go back to that article, and I want to talk to us about just how all of this came to fruition. Um, and it goes back in time, actually before, long before Gina Masa Amini. And it goes to a lady. Her name is Tihara Karat Ayan. She was actually one of the first women in Iran to unveil. She dared to question the political and religious orthodoxy in Iran. Now, Tihara was a poet. She was a religious scholar. She was a member of the Baha'i faith. And at that time, which is – we're talking in 1848 – she was very outspoken against the restraints placed on women. And during a conference, a religious conference in 1848, she took off her veil. She unveiled before a congregation of men during her lecture. And because of this opposition, 
and because she was a member of the Baha'i faith, which doesn't go well with the political establishment in Iran. She was put in prison in 1852, and her rally cry from prison was, you can kill me as you like, but you cannot stop the emancipation of women. Well, in August of that same year, Tahira was the first woman to be executed on the grounds of, quote, corruption on earth. She was strangled to death by her own veil, thrown in a shallow well, and stoned to death at the age of 35. So if you're wondering where this really all began, this unjust treatment of women for improperly wearing the veil or unveiling altogether, it goes way back to 1852 to a lady named Tahara Karat Al-Ayan. Now, fast forward. The first real challenge to this ruling came in Iran through Reza Shah. Now, Reza Shah was the general of the Persian Cossack Brigade, and he was recognized as the first Shah of the House of Pahlavi. And what he did at that time, in the 1930s, he introduced social, economic, and political reforms. And what he began doing is replacing Islamic law with modern Western laws. And he struck out against this particular rule. He banned Islamic clothing altogether. He got rid of the law about the separation of sexes and the mandatory veiling of women. And in 1936, he implemented a reform that was really aimed at weakening the conservative traditional religious system in Iran. And in this law, in 1936, it stated that if a woman wore a veil in public, the police had the right to remove that veil. And the reason for this is the Shah at that time recognized the hijab as a sign of backwardness and went so far as to compelling men to wear Western costumes and hats. He, he was interested in Western reforms in an Islamic country, and the religious establishment was outraged at that. And in 1941, when the Shah went into exile, the ban was eased and once again allowed women to return to their traditional ways of dressing. Well, fast forward now, the son of the Shah, Mohammad Reza Shah Pahlavi, he also was influenced greatly by Western culture. And in 1963, this Shah, Reza Shah Pahlavi, Mohammad Reza Shah Pahlavi, introduced a series of reforms. It's well known. They're called the Right Revolution Reforms. One of these laws gave women the right to vote. And four years later, in 1967, women were finally granted equal rights in a male-dominated society. They also had something called early childhood marriage, and the age for marriage was raised from 13 to 18 years of age, which is the way it should have been. Well, this angered the religious establishment, and they began seeking ways to undermine the Shah. Now, previously, under this Shah, the Ayatollah Khomeini had been exiled, and what he began doing is preaching the concept in exile 
of an Islamic republic, and he did this through books and cassette tapes. And his sermons and teachings began to slowly take root within the conservative religious establishment. And that started the uprisings, the demonstrations, and finally unable to cope with the growing protests and the death threats, like his father before him, the Shah and his family, and this is a part of history, they were forced into exile in January of 1979. And this immediately opened the way for Ayatollah Khomeini to return from exile in Paris on February 1st, and he was greeted by millions of supporters in Tehran to begin the Iranian Revolution. Do you know this year, 2024, will be the 45th anniversary of the Iranian Revolution where the Shah came back in exile? And that's only a couple of weeks from now. It was February 1st, 1979. Now, what did the, the Ayatollah promised all this freedom, right? Well, he reversed every one of the reform policies of the Pahlavi dynasty. Beaches and sports became sex-segregated. Women were no longer allowed to serve as judges. And the Islamic clothing law, which had been banned under the previous Shah, was now reinstituted. March 8, 1979, International Women's Day. Tens of thousands of women marched into Tehran protesting the veil law. 3,000 women gathered in the city of Qom. That's a religious city. That's the residence of Khomeini. They boldly marched into the city without wearing their veils, chanting, we didn't have a revolution to go backwards. There were 15,000 protesters who gathered at the Palace of Justice. There was a three-and-a-half-hour sit-in. They had a list of demands, including the right of choice to dress, equal rights with men, and no discrimination in the political, social, and economic arenas. Well, did the Ayatollah listen? Are you kidding me? No, of course not. In July of 1981, the hijab law was passed, and then veiling became public, mandatory. You had to do it. It was a mandatory law. Two years later, the Islamic punishment law was instituting. This is in July of 1981, then in July of 1983. This law was passed that if a woman was caught unveiled in public, she would be sentenced to 74 lashes. 74. Every reform of freedom which had been instituted by the previous Shah was completely abolished. By the Ayatollah Khomeini, the oppression of women had begun, and they would be ruled by Islamic law from the cradle to the grave. Fast forward to the year 2005. The morality police was established under the presidency of Ahmadinejad, and they began patrolling the streets looking for offenders of the hijab law. Now, since then, and since the incident with Masa Amini, there has been a government uptick to use cameras as surveillance so that confrontations between the morality police and women can be minimized. Now, you can get a citation for not wearing a hijab in the mail. 
and you'll not have any physical contact with law enforcement. Now, through Iran's national identity base, which was built back in 2015, it's the cyber police, they have scans for national ID cards on all citizens. And this database is used to identify and catch veil lawbreakers as they travel to shopping malls and peruse the streets of Tehran. Right before the death of Masa Amini, President Ibrahim Risi identified and introduced additional hijab and chastity restrictions. Women who violated the law can now lose access to banks, public transportation, and other government services. Repeat offenders can spend years in prison for refusing to veil publicly. And the new technology is a tactic to keep track of all veil violators. And they're using this new technology to enforce their gender apartheid. Beginning in 2020, women began receiving text messages in their car reminding them to wear a veil or be arrested. Facial recognition, cyber police have all made things so much more difficult for women. Now, I gave you this brief historical survey so I could talk to you this morning about a very recent hot social media case that I've been reporting on. And I'm going to be reading to you from a blog site. It's a human rights blog site. It's an article published called The Fire Next Time. This article is very powerful. It's the heart of everything I do, and it's what I want to talk to you about this morning. It's the story of Roya Heshmati, and in this story, she goes into explicit detail of being lashed 74 times for disobeying the hijab law, as I just reported to you and explained to you. She is 33 years old. She lives in Tehran. She is Kurdish. And on her Facebook, she shared her experience recently at the district court in Tehran. So I want to read to you from this article and also her own personal account of what happened. So this is eye-opening. We need to read this. We need to bring attention to Roya and all women who live in Iran and how they're oppressed. Now, she had a court session. And during this court session, she chose not to wear the headscarf. It was mandatory. And she described in this article being flogged by a man in the place. She called this place a medieval torture chamber. And Roya writes, I didn't keep count of the lashes. Instead, I silently recited the names of women, the name of life, thinking, The garments of captivity are torn. The dark night will soon turn to morning, breaking all chains. Now, if you remember about a year ago, there were hundreds of young children poisoned in the Islamic Republic. They would go to the hospital, be very ill, and it had been determined they had been poisoned. The reason why these young children were poisoned is I believe the government was doing it in response to them publicly uploading uh, videos mocking the supreme leader during the uprising. But, of course, the government denies that, that they're looking for these criminals. But here's my point. A few months ago, Roya 
was sentenced by the Islamic Revolutionary Court after a photo of her without the compulsory hijab surfaced while she was walking in the streets of Tehran. And her point is, you immediately got a picture of me and arrested me, but you can't seem to find the perpetrators of the poisoning of these children. How selective. Well, that's her point, and she has a good point there. The verdict that she was given included one year of suspended imprisonment, a three-year travel ban, and 74 lashes. And Roya details her arrest and the subsequent events, and I want us now to go into Roya's world, and I want you to live through what she went through. This is so important that we hear it in her own words. Here's what Roya says. The tall, chador-clad woman pushed me aside and said impatiently and authoritatively, cover up, quickly cover up. Still dazed from sleep, I realized a new chapter in my life had just begun. When the male officers entered my home, one of them said, put something on your head. I replied, you came into my home. You can't tell me what to wear. My glass nylon socks, skirt, and red t-shirt were lying on the couch, reminding me of the sweetness of the previous day. I had said no to power, and now they had come for me. Within 24 hours, Roya was identified and detained by the secret police based on a photograph taken from behind. Upon being questioned by the officers about her unconventional attire in public, she provided her explanation, once again in her own words. I am angry about this endless darkness. I am angry about the constant marginalization and erasure of women. I am infinitely angry about the systematic poisoning of female students. I went out in this attire to reclaim my life and my plundered freedom, even if it was just for a few hours, and I accept the consequences of my actions. Now, Roya at that time was ordered to review the charge sheet and prepare a defense if she so desired. Here's what she was charged with. Propaganda against the regime in favor of opposition groups and media, promotion and encouragement of corruption and indecency, production and distribution of offensive content with the intention of professionalizing it, violating public decency, and public appearance without Islamic hijab. Here's what Roya wrote in her defense. I am not sorry for what I did, and I do not accept the charges against me. I have to stop here. This is a woman in Iran. How dare her speak to the government that way? But that's this woman. She is so brave. She is a person of principle, and I just admire this courage that she has. Now, I want us to hear the interrogation and her punishment in her own words, according to her Facebook page. And one of the first things she did in custody was question the efficiency of the authorities. She says, why was I identified in less than 24 hours from a back view photo 
while for four months schoolgirls have been poisoned without any arrests or trials. Well, Roya, I think I can answer that. They're very selective, but I think they're the ones guilty of doing it, so they're not going to incriminate themselves. Now, the officer responded to this charge, suggestion, ignorance of any arrest and dismissing the events as mere mischief by a schoolgirl and her father. Roya expressed disbelief at the explanation, pointing out the implausibility of such mischief occurring 10 provinces and 60 schools. When the officer dismissively asked Roya why it mattered to her, she firmly stated her commitment to seeking justice. Roya emphasized that she would continue questioning the authorities' priorities and their apparent lack of effort in finding the preparatories or perpetrators of the schoolgirls poisoning until the matter is resolved. Good for her, sticking up for these young schoolgirls. Now, Roya, in this article, details the manipulative tactics of her interrogation, revealing how the questions were designed to falsely imply her affiliation with an organization and receiving illicit funds. She maintained her stance against these accusations. The interrogation began with a question about her awareness of breaking the law, to which Roya responds, quote, I know wearing a hijab is law here, but I question its ethical grounding. We all have to choose between compliance with law enforced by power or acting on what's ethically right. She sounds like a lawyer. She's very good, isn't she? When asked about her view on the girls of Englehop Street, that is, there was a bunch of girls protesting the hijab law during the uprising, she expressed profound respect for these girls of Revolution Street, noting the immortal impact of the moment created by a woman named Vita at this time in 20, I think it was 2018 during the uprising, where she raised her hijab up on a pointed stick and stood on top of uh, something there on the street and protested the hijab law. And this picture of her holding her hijab became very famous. Now, further protesting, excuse me, further pressed about regretting her actions, Roya was unwavering. No, I have the freedom to choose my beliefs and attire. I won't compromise my right. Even when pushed for confirmation of her lack of regret, she reiterated, no, I don't regret it. Now, the interrogator, seemingly dismissive of these broader issues, like the poisoning of schoolgirls, Roya's right to protest, Roya continues to stand her ground. The interrogator threatened her with severe punishment, asserting, I've seen many here. I'll ensure the harshest punishment for you. You might get bail but you'll be consumed by fear and anxiety until we meet in court. Now, when the draft verdict of the Islamic Revolutionary and Criminal Court has been issued, she was sentenced to one year of suspended imprisonment for propaganda against the regime and in the criminal court 
to 12 years and six months of penal imprisonment for promoting and encouraging corruption and indecency, one year and three months of penal imprisonment, and 74 lashes for producing and distributing offensive content, 74 lashes for violating public decency, and a fine for the production and distribution of offensive content, another fine as a penalty payable to the government. Now, this has gone on ever since what happened to Masa Amini, beaten in custody. Now, she continues in her Facebook page and in this article to explain what happened next. And in this part of the article, she says, This morning I received a call from the prosecutor's office summoning me for the execution of a 74 lashes sentence. I promptly contacted my lawyer, and together we proceeded to District 7 Prosecutor's Office. Upon passing the entrance gate, I defiantly removed my hijab. Entering the hall, agonizing, ag- there was these agonizing cries echoed from the stair, likely from a woman facing a similar fate. My lawyer said, Roya, please think again. The scars that whips will incur will stay with you for a long time. We went to the first branch of the execution of sentences where the branch employee ordered me to put on my scarf on my head to avoid trouble. Calmly and respectfully, I explained that I came here for the same reason, to be whipped, and I won't wear a hijab. They called, and the execution officer came up to execute the sentence. He said, put on your hijab and follow me. I replied, I will not. To my surprise, he exclaims, you won't? I will whip you so hard that you'll know where you are. I will open a new case for you, and you can be our guest for another 74 lashes. Now, despite the threat, I refused to wear my scarf. We descended the stairs. They had apprehended some young men for drinking alcohol. The man sternly repeated, Don't, didn't I tell you to put on your hijab? I ignored him. Two women wearing shador, that is covered head to toe, approached and pulled the scarf over my head. I took it off again. And this process was repeated several times. They handcuffed me from behind and placed the scarf over my head. We proceeded to the ground floor using the same stairs where the woman had been taken. At the bottom of the parking lot, there was a room. The judge, the execution officer, and the Chador woman stood next to me. The woman seemed visibly impressed. The judge sighed several times and said, I know, I know. Cleric judge laughed at me. I recalled the old man who was a character in a book, The Blind Isle. She's recalling he looked like that. I turned my face away from him. They opened the iron door. The room's walls were made of cement, and at the bottom there was a bed with handcuffs and iron bands welded to sides, an iron device resembling a large canvas and with a place for handcuffs and a rusty iron binding occupied the middle of the room. Additionally, there was a chair and a small table behind the chair, the latter full of whips. It resembled a full-fledged 
medieval torture chamber. Wow. The judge asked, are you okay? Do you not have any problems? As if he does not exist, I did not answer. He said, I am talking to you, ma'am. Once again, I did not respond. The executioner said, take off your coat and lie on the bed. I hung my coat and scarf from the base of the torture bed. He said, put on your scarf. I firmly replied, I won't. I told him to put the Quran under his arms and do what he had to do. I lay on the bed as if it's an Islamic ritual to keep a copy of the Quran under the arm of the executor or executioner to ensure they don't exceed the limit or lash harshly. The woman came and pleaded, please don't be stubborn. She brought the shawl and pulled it over my head. The man took a black leather whip from the bunch behind the door, wrapped it around his hand twice, and approached the bed. The judge cautioned, don't hit too hard. The man started hitting my shoulders, back, hips, and legs, but I did not count the number of hits, silently whispering, in the name of woman, in the name of life, the clothes of slavery are torn. Our black night will dawn. All the whips will be axed. Finally, it was over. We came out, and I didn't let them think I was in pain. We went up to the judge to execute the sentence. The female agent came behind me, careful that my scarf did not fall off. I threw my scarf at the entrance gate, and the woman begged me to put it back. I didn't listen, and she forced it over my head. In the judge's room, he expressed dissatisfaction with his situation, but insisted it should be executed. When he suggested leaving the country, I asserted, this country belongs to everyone. He acknowledged the law, but emphasized following it. I replied, let the law do its job. We will continue our resistance. We left the room, and I took off my scarf. I don't know about you. But I am just awestruck at this woman's courage. When you hear in her own words, extensive detailing of what took place, you see her speaking truth to power. You see her refusing to do something that is against her conscience, that she believes is unethically wrong, that this is in the name of woman. In the name of life, in the name of freedom, woman life freedom is what this movement in Iran is all about. But I want to add a few things to this horrific story. I want to bring this story to a very important conclusion. As I was thinking about the flogging of this innocent, beautiful woman the lashes upon her back. I'm reminded what happened to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ before his crucifixion. He was lashed horrifically by the Roman guards, almost to the extent that he almost died 
before his execution. Compared to Roya, there's no comparison to the amount of suffering Jesus went through. But remember this. Remember this, Roya. Jesus took those lashes willingly upon his back. He offered no resistance in the name of salvation, in the name of love, and in the name of freedom for us. He took willingly those horrific lashes on his backs. And the Bible says, by his stripes, we are healed. Jesus endured the whipping beyond recognition out of love, standing in our place as a sinless man dying for our sins. Eventually he would do that on the cross. But I want to say that when I thought of this brutal whipping of Roya and how unjust it was and how she resisted, by thinking of Jesus who willingly took the flogging on his back for our salvation out of pure love for sinful humanity. Roya, Jesus willingly took those lashings for your salvation and for your freedom. As Roya was being lashed, she talked about woman and life and freedom. And one day, the dawn will arise and these lashes and whips will be done away with. She's echoing the heart of this movement. There was a song written about this movement by a man named Shervin Hajipur. And it was written, a song called Barari. It was, of course, sung in Persian, but there's an English version of that song, beautifully done by Rana Mansour. And as you listen to this song, I want you to think about what Roya endured and what all women have endured, all men as well, in this recent uprising, Woman Life Freedom. And I want you to hear what I'm sure was on Roya's heart as she took those lashes. Let's listen. For dancing in the alleys and the streets For the thrill and the fear of getting caught kissing For my sister, my brother, and unity For all the times we tried to change their minds and stale beliefs For the loss of pride, for poverty For the dream of just a normal life for you and me For all the children who were starving for a loaf of bread For the greed of politics and all the lies they spread For all the... Mass polluted air we breathe For all the litter in the streets And all the dying trees For all the animals who suffer from elimination For all the cats and dogs who love us Without no conditions For all the tears that seem to never end For all the images that keep on turning in our heads For a simple smile to last a little while 
for the future generations fighting for their time for empty promises of heaven in the afterlife for all the imprisonments of beautiful minds for all the babies who were born and for the ones who died for all the times you told the truth and all the times you lied for all the speeches that we heard about a million times for all the shacks and shelters that were sold to make a dime for just a glimpse of a peaceful life for the rising of the sun after an endless night for all the pills we pop just to get some sleep for all mankind and our country for all the boys and girls who never knew equality for woman for life liberty rendition of the song originally composed and written by Shervin Hajipar. That's Rana Mansour and Woman, Life, and Freedom, which I'm sure Roya was thinking about as she was being lashed. In my book, Uprising, on page 10, I have a picture of Masa Amini who sparked this revolution. And these are the words I wrote. Dear Masa, you courageously defied the hijab law. Your unjust death sparked a revolution, an uprising that will never die. We are all Masa. And can I add this this morning? We are all Roya. From my song that opens the program written by Muse called Uprising, the words are appropriate here to everything that Roya endured. Muse writes, they will not force us. They will stop degrading us. They will not control us, and we will be victorious. If you want to read more about the last hours of several Iranian women protesting for freedom that I wrote in this book, you want to get Uprising. We Are the Revolution. It's on Amazon.com, Randy L. Noble. This morning on the cross in the desert, I talked to us about the freedom of two Iranian journalists, a brief history of this unethical hijab law, and then the incredible story written by Roya Heshmati from the Fire Next Time website. You can read that article in its fullest, just as I read to you there on the Fire Next Time. I want to credit them for a tremendous piece. It has been a very important morning here on the Cross in the Desert. I want you to remember Roya in your prayers for her protection, for her freedom, and particularly pray that she comes to know the Jesus that took the stripes on his back for her healing. I really want to thank you this morning for taking time out of your busy life. And as always, thank you for listening to The Cross in the Desert, for supporting it and helping me be a voice for my Iranian friends I want you to have a great rest of the week. I will see you again on this Thursday, 9.30 a.m. Central Standard Time. Be safe. 
Keep my Iranian friends in your prayer, and I will see you very soon again on the cross in the desert. God bless you. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Dad's getting older and needs a little more help with the day-to-day. But Amron can help with access to programs like energy assistance, bill-paying options, and rebates, giving us the power to be at ease. See how you can get help at amron.com slash assistance.